This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Welcome, everybody, to Enrollment Resources Podcast. I'm with my colleague, Tom King. Hi, Tom. How are you today? Doing fantastic, Greg. Excellent. We're out helping schools everywhere improve revenues by uh, doing more with what they've got. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic that we don't hear ad agencies talking about, and that is uh, the strategy around what's called positioning. And positioning was uh, created by, was made popular by two gentlemen, Trout and Reese out of New York, and they wrote a book called Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind. So Tom, having uh, your school have a prominent spot in the mind of the prospective student is more crucial than ever, given that people are inundated with information, vomiting of information everywhere. So holding that, that uh, crucible inside somebody's mind is tougher than ever. You care to expand on that? Yeah, I think having a, you know, positioning, holding a piece of that real estate in their mind and being top of mind, having that top of mind awareness is great. And, and uh, having a niche that you can fit in that really separates you from everybody else and all the noise out there. So just so much noise because people are getting hit from so many areas, social media, TV, radio, streaming radio, streaming internet, all, there's so many sources that people are getting bombarded with these days, coming up with holding that little piece of real estate in their mind where, you know what, I remember I heard of this school or it, they, they've, they've come up with a niche. And that was, that was really our goal at the school I was at was we wanted to, we wanted to be specialty. We didn't want to be the every, do everything for everyone, similar to exactly what we do at enrollment resources. We don't want to be all things to all people. We have a niche that we want to practice in, and hopefully, you know, we've positioned ourselves to, to achieve that. We have an itch to create a niche. So let me do a kind of a positioning 101 uh, for those listening that may not fully grasp the concept, because it is not talked about a lot. It's usually leads and conversion rates. So positioning is the key, though. So the first person in and the best-dressed person has a chance to get the most dances at the town hall dance. And, and that's how it works in marketing. First in, that the first company that solves the problem will get about a third of the market share. The second company that comes in to solve the problem gets 25% of the market share. The third, it's 12, and the rest are battling for scraps. So that's interesting to me. And so when you analyze it, it's not like somebody is throwing their money around to four or five different spots. It's if, if the, um, the market is uh, soft drinks. Uh, let me just use that as an example. Uh, Coca-Cola was the innovator uh, and they were, um, they came in first and they had a hundred percent of a small market. And then how market dynamics go is uh, the new guy on the block came in second, that's Pepsi, and then RC Cola, and then a bunch of the other cola drinks and what 
seven up and this and that, and they were battling for scraps. So Pepsi came in second, the new guys on the block. You, you care to guess when Pepsi was started? Yeah, no, no. I, you tell me, I'm not, I'm not sure. 1882. Yeah. So uh, like six years after Coca-Cola and all the advertising, fresh, new, innovative Pepsi, the younger generation, the Michael Jackson TV ad. But the, the, it, was, it was established six, six years after Coca-Cola back in the late 1800s. So go figure. Pepsi had all this time to somehow take out Coke and they couldn't do it. So mm -hmm. the, the, the broad rule of thumb is if you think of it like visualize a ladder, the person at the top of the ladder, plus minus, will typically have about 10x in terms of profit over the subsequent people in positioning ladder. So staying with soft drinks for a moment, back uh, in, I think it's the 70s, early 70s, 7up had 4% of the soft drink market. They were fighting for scraps and they were having um, a heck of a time because they were battling Coke, Pepsi, RC Cola, etc. So what they decided to do was what we call fracturing the market, where we went and created a new ladder, a little tiny ladder that put seven up on the top of this tiny little ladder. Now, uh, what they, they did there is they said, well, there's a cult counterculture, there's Vietnam, the Vietnam War, the free love, the real deep schisms in terms of generational divides. So they did nothing except had an ad campaign. This large, attractive Jamaican man with a white suit and a pimp hat and everything that a 60-year-old Midwestern white guy would despise. And then he just did this fantastic campaign, the Ancula. And just on that campaign alone, by differentiating 7-Up as the Ancola, their market share increased 400% in one year. They didn't change packaging. They just ran an ad campaign, quadrupled the revenue in one year. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's interesting how that, that, whole, that whole thing works. And when you, you know, whether you fracture the market or grab that position, it makes a huge difference in your ability to, to move forward. Are you up for another example? Let's go. All right. So the aspirin market, it was uh, dominated by Bayer and Excedrin and aspirin, what have you. Tylenol had, again, around 3 or 4% market share. And then what they had, they had a hard look at, and they said, what are we, how are we different? Unlike the rest of the pain relievers, how are we better? Well, what we do at Tylenol is, is um, your stomach doesn't bleed. Now, <laughs> when you take an aspirin and your stomach bleeds, it's not a big deal. But what they did is they played on it. And they basically went back and said, people, did you know when you take an aspirin, your stomach bleeds one tablespoon of blood? Every time you take a, a tablet, a Tylenol, we pain relievers that where your stomach does not bleed, well, people's minds got the better of them. And uh, the, the, the actual result from the pain relief was similar, except Tylenol, the stomach did not bleed. And that market share went up to like 33% overall. 
So what they did was they grouped all the aspirin products. And instead of being one of 40 brands competing for shelf space, they were one of two. The company where the stomach doesn't bleed and the 39 others where the stomach does bleed. So they created a, a battle of one competitor. They created a new positioning ladder and they put themselves at the very top. And then, of course, what spins out is that that ladder develops and companies like Aleve and Motrin and other similar products go in under that ladder. But what they managed to do was create almost 100% of the non-bleed pain reliever ladder, which they owned and dominated, but it represented 36% overall. University of Phoenix. So back in the 70s, when you came out of high school, you went to work for 50 years and got your gold watch, or you went to university. And there was a whole raft of people that dropped out of school. There were women who had were honor students in high school that set out to be homemakers. And Dr. John Sperling saw an opportunity, and he created a, a new positioning ladder, which was earn while you learn. And that's basically self-explanatory. You can get your degree online. And because of this earn while you learn concept, Arizona State University, University of Arizona, Northern Arizona State University said, yeah, no problem. We're not uh, marketing to 40-year-old housewives or guys who are moonlighting to get a degree. That's not our market. Go ahead. And so they got regionally accredited like very early on in their process. So to make a long story short, University of Phoenix are the, I believe, the third largest university in the world with 430 odd thousand students. The only bigger university systems are the California system and the University of London system in the UK. And then University of Phoenix is third for in terms of regionally accredited degrees. So what Sperling did was he created a new position. He was aiming, he didn't want 18 year olds, he wanted 40 year old housewives with a year of college to finish off their degree. Smash through the glass ceiling, earn while you learn. Crazy, don't mm -hmm. you think Tom? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so of course it's really unique how 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 you can create a unique position for yourself. Yeah, enrollment resources we we took off a few years ago when we dedicated to conversion rate optimization, uh, doing more with what you've got, and versus trying to sell the training and getting people to hire more admissions reps or buy more leads. We said no no no, you can in fact reduce your media buy and do more with what you've got. So mm -hmm. our, our conversion rates are much higher than the typical ad agency. And that's just because we focus on that. We don't buy media. So that's an example. We created our own positioning ladder. And when we did that, our business took right off. And out of that, we created software which supported it. So what happens is when you decide to create a position, you start to realign your your internal resources, hey? You know, when you ran that uh, vocational school, once you, tell us the story there where you decided to focus your efforts, right? And create sure. a 
differentiation point against some of these monster vocational schools. Well, you want right. to tell the story? Yeah. yeah, for for the school that I you know that that I ran for for many years, we you know we had some some big players in the industry that were publicly traded companies. They would outspend us ninety to one. We couldn't compete, you know, from a from a head-to-head standpoint with with their marketing budgets. They were simply significantly larger multi-campus uh, schools that that we were competing against, and so we really had to create and carve out a, a you know a niche for ourselves that that separated us and allowed us uh, to to really differentiate in the minds of not only our prospects and our students that we were looking after, but also you know, the high school instructors and guidance counselors and other people, uh, the perceptions that they had of the industry. Uh, so we wanted to be, and I, I think a lot of people say you want to be the Harvard of technical schools. That was really our, our goal. We wanted to be an elite school and we worked hard to, to find industry partners, big name industry partners that would allow us to create specialization programs that nobody else was offering uh, something that gave us additional value over someone who was teaching something similar, but yet we could offer these little, I mean, certifications, uh, even a digital badge type of a thing, just something that would allow students to c- come out with more value uh, and relationships with some of these big name industry companies that allowed us to specialize, of which allowed us to be more expensive and a reason to be more expensive. So we created a you know, a niche that was a little higher end than everybody else because we could offer a lot more value. And I think we really started that trend in the industry. And then you started to see some of these big corporations going after similar partners uh, and trying to plaster as many logos on their website. But we were really there first where we created tremendous value for our students, which allowed us to position ourselves as more of an elite institution it also really separated us from many of the community colleges uh, in the area out there. So yeah, it, that, that positioning works, but it doesn't work overnight. It takes years to develop that niche. It doesn't happen in a couple months or whatever. You have to stick to it, decide where you want to go, whether that's going to work. Obviously, you'll know whether it works you know, within, within a year's time or so if you're starting to move that direction. But you've, you've got to stay to it and stay true to what you want to be. And you can't be flip-flopping, you know, every three to four months. Like, okay, now we want to be the lowest price. Now we want to be this. Now we want to be the nursing school. Now we want to do cosmetology and automotive. At the, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what I, you have to be first. You must be first into a playground. Uh, and then you have to be relentless at staying first. So here might be an example. There's a big, big, giant pile of sand. And at the top of the sand is gold and riches. And so the first company to identify the gold and riches at the top of the pile set about to start climbing up that that sand, that pile of sand. And of course, the sand is tough to grip and you're having to work to get up there and be persistent. But then a second company says, oh, I see what's going on here. I'm going to go after that pile of sand. And stupidly, they start on the, the trek 
And so here's what has to happen for them to get to those riches. They have to actually go faster and crawl over top of the leader and the sand from the, the leader is pushing down on the second person, making it harder for them to go and, and reach the goal. Now, it's worse for the third person because there's two people pushing sand down on them and they have to go over one, two people to become first. And yet again for the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So when there's um, a medical assisting programs, there's eight or nine of them in a, a given market. If you're the eighth or the ninth in, uh, then you've got real daunting task ahead of you. So you want to create a, a new pile, a new hill of sand to go after that no one's going after. And you can be amazed at what's sitting there waiting for you when you differentiate. Allow me to give it an example. There is a market here in Canada, which is a relatively small town, which supports a big resource industry, forestry, mining, and fishing. And they were offering a, an administrative program. And so these are typically the purview of office workers, people working in law offices, real estate offices, what have you. And these people did a clever thing. They looked and said, well, the employers all around us are these heavy industry people. So let's create a, an administrative program for people who are happy working in jeans and a hard hat out of an ATCO trailer at a huge truck log sorting area or what have you. And so what they did was they created a new ladder and they went at the top and they said, we offer an administrative training program for those that want to work in heavy industry. So what happened, of course, is they would they didn't have to change much to the programming. In fact, what they did is out of career services, they created a participation digital badge on the jargon and the special language needed for heavy industry. And so what happened is when they went to work or went to apply for a job at a big mining company or forestry company, they had one line item in their resume. And that one line item separated them from all the vanilla applications and they would get these amazing jobs. They would get paid premiums because they found that administrators, most of them didn't want to wear jeans and a hard hat and boots in a muddy sorting yard and out of an ATCO trailer. That's a cool story. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's so many of these great stories out there. Uh, in fact, if I could share just a quick one as well, Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite positioning examples is Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. Southwest Airlines. And again, to, to figure out your position, you, A, you have to know where you are. B, you have to know where you want to be and put a plan together to get there. And Southwest is a great example. They knew where they wanted to be. They wanted to be, they wanted to own the low cost airline category. Uh, they didn't want to be United or American or Delta, you know, the big carriers. They wanted to own the low cost. And they, they've to, they put a plan together to get there. And in order to be low cost, one of the cool strategies that they did was, you know, Southwest only buys 737s. It's the only airplane they fly. 
Uh, so where many different airlines have all kinds of different sizes, 737, 747s, they have the express jets, all of those different sizes. Southwest only mm -hmm. has 737s. And the reason for Tom, that... So, yeah, why is that? Yeah. The reason for that is it's easy to get parts. They always have the parts available because they only have one plane that they have to service. They don't have to stock parts for all kinds of different planes. So they have to they keep less parts on hand at each airport. So their inventory is half or less of what all the other airlines are. They save a ton of money because they only fly Boeing 737s. They don't have to, they don't have to. So they started to build that moat. Also, their turnaround time is 30 minutes where most com competitors is like 45 minutes. So they're able to get people on and off with their unique, you know, way, you know, you can't reserve your seats and all that. They get people on and off the plane quicker. So they fly quicker. There's, there's turnaround time. So they need fewer planes and fewer worker hours because they can fly quicker and they keep their hours down as opposed to fly, taking longer each day and paying people, having to pay people for more hours. So it's, it's a really unique story. It's one of the, you know, I think it's a great story to ever, if you ever had a chance to read about Southwest Airlines, there it's, it's, it's pretty neat. And they use a lot of second, you know, instead of going to O'Hare, they go to Midway, which is cheaper, easier to, you know, they stay out of the congestion. Uh, they do it, you know, it's no frills, uh, but the seats are comfortable. So they have probably one of the most comfortable seats. They're not those plastic ones. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a really unique positioning story. They knew where they wanted mm -hmm. to be, and they put all of the different strategies in place that would never violate their code of being a low-cost airline. They wanted to dominate low-cost airlines. They would not do anything that would jeopardize that. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's another excellent example. IBM. They they went and had there are all kinds of people nipping at them with innovation and and they came back and realized their advantage was that their systems that they used were rock solid and the hardware they used was just bedrocked tested and so they re, they went to their weakness and they created a position around people who were afraid of getting swept up in really cool, but flimsy, flaky technology. And so their salespeople, their campaigns were always, no one gets fired for using IBM. And the number of deals these guys won was amazing based on them pivoting back in to what the innovators in the tech industry perceived to be a weakness. So there's another odd little idea. Here's another example of a company that that uh, repositioned 20 years ago. I worked for a company called Accent Refrigeration. They made hockey rinks, and they were typically about 50% more than the competitors, which are these huge, huge companies. Pardon me. And so I had a heart to heart, and I said, "It's time to re reposition with the owner, Art Sutherland." And I said why why do you do this are you and why do you spend all the extra money on on the these extra expensive components that make up your mechanical skids typically half a million bucks and then he got into it and said well i want the thing to work really well i want a good experience and then we dug and dug and dug and 
and did the five layers of why, which Simon Sinek made most recently famous again. And what we landed on was that he really was excited about perfect ice. He was excited that a, a hockey player wouldn't break his ankle by hitting a rut or that it'd be, the ice would be sloppy in corners and detract from any kind of a, a sport or a figure skater could work at her epitome because she could trust the ice was perfect. And so what happened was Shane and I actually reframed the company and the whole slogan was perfect ice. And then we started to recruit other vendors like Zamboni, companies like this, the International Skating Federation, who are all interested in promoting the idea of perfect ice. And it was about 40, 40 companies and created a user group around excellence of which Accent were the service, servant leaders. And these other 40 companies who shared their values started bringing all of these developers and managers and city people to their scrawny little booth at the hockey shows and that because Accent had laid out the core values around Perfect Dice. And if somebody didn't really care about Perfect Dice, they would say, go see those guys. And they would qualify them out really hard. So two years later, they were doing all the ice sheets for the Salt Lake City Olympics. And they've done all the uh, ice sheets for every single Olympics ever since. Plus ice rinks for sheiks in Abu Dhabi and all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyway, that's a positioning story. They positioned to what was perceived as a weakness. They, they went to a strength. And that was the user experience. You can have a, a school, an IT school in LA with a specialty in music and movies. All music and movie companies use IT guys all the time. If you can say, hey, I, got, I have a vanilla IT certificate, plus I understand your industry. That gives them an automatic advantage when a job comes out for posting. They're shortlisted automatically by the nature that they've married up the vanilla program with the big hiring piece in the given community. Uh, you could have uh, medical assistants who specialize in elder care. So there you go. there's a way to carve out and create a niche for a graduate. Then a school can create a program and become famous for uh, elder care. So there are opportunities in education for schools to explore this. And there's a, a lot of, I think, and I think a lot of schools go down the, well, what's easy? What, what program can we, can we add that's easy and, and doesn't cost us a lot or we can make a lot of money? Or maybe everybody wants to do medical assisting or dental assisting, or maybe we can do computers or IT. It, it really doesn't matter where you are, but you, you really need to have a strategy. What is it? Where do you want to be? How do you want to position yourself in your market? Maybe you're in a market where you don't have to worry about it as much because there's really not much competition, although there's always competition somewhere. Uh, maybe it's the labor market or something. But how do you set yourself apart? What makes your school unique? And how do you where do you want to position yourself? Are you the, uh, the higher cost specialty school? Are you a lower cost uh, school that serves a certain market uh, but has a great placement rate uh, directly in? Do you have associate degree programs or do you want to just do small certificate programs? I know schools that do heavy equipment 
training where they, they train people how to run bulldozers, backhoes. Those programs can take three to four weeks maximum. They're a couple hundred dollars uh, and they get people in and out and they turn them quickly uh, and they have no problem uh, with, with, with training on that. And they don't really even need a campus or much of a building. They rent space. Uh, they rent a dirt you know, lot or something like that. They put up a, a little mobile home and they, they train right there. So it's really a matter of what, where do you want to be? And you can be successful in any of those areas, but you've got to have a plan and put something together. And, and this is a great time of the year to rethink that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you can go in weirdo directions. Like you're a uh, career school. Why not pivot and create a position around lifelong learning? Not many schools do that. And it's very simple. You have a, a really robust alumni program. And the alumni program is not about shaking people out for money. The alumni program is about putting in place graduate services for five years after graduation. So somebody cycles through a job, they can go back and get help to get the second job or the third job. It could be every quarter, the school does a webinar on a program for graduates to come in and get updated on just new learning, new, new scissors, cosmetology school, new high, uh, hairstyles from Paris or what have you. Every quarter for th- three years, you could have a continuing education program. And then what that does is you, you bundle that into the offering when the student comes in and say, you're not only going to have a 10-month intensive with us cosmetology student, but you're going to have three years of continuing ed, and you're going to have five years of graduate services support. Wow. So that creates a lot bigger value proposition for somebody. But if you're the first in to do that, you will create a dominant. For those that care about that, care about the the postgraduate love and support, you will get all those students. Yeah. So you've got, you know, like, like you said earlier, being being first in or at least being best at, at, at that and understanding your position in the market and having a focused plan on how to capitalize on that. The only thing is it's the law of sacrifice, eh? Because when you focus on something, you're sacrificing something else. The people that don't care. So the, the my lifelong learning example, there will be people that don't care about that. And so there's no real advantage with those people, hey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting conversation today. Hey, talking about marketing positioning. Not many people talk about it, but it can set a school up for some really big results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything you want to add before we uh, part ways on this topic, Tom? No, it's my, my, you know, my, my only three points are number one, know where you want to go. Uh, or where you are, know where you want to go, and have a strategic plan to get there. And having a plan about positioning, uh, and and discuss that, and then put a a, lo- a short term and long range plan together, uh, and really try to carve out a niche. It's like you know, like I said, it's a it's a great exercise to be doing on an annual basis. Yeah, and it's a multiplier. It's a force multiplier if you land on the right niche. So that's it for now. So folks, if you uh, want to learn more about positioning or want Tom or I to help you build out a positioning map, looking at your competitors and what have you, uh, just drop us a line. We'll be pleased to help you out. So Tom, have a good day and we'll talk to you soon, no doubt. 
Thanks, Greg. This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.